Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the family and friends of the soldier from 2nd Battalion, the Royal Gurkha Rifles, who was killed in Afghanistan yesterday. In the week leading to Remembrance Sunday, we should remember the debt of gratitude we owe to all those who have laid down their lives in service of our country. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will also wish to join me in sending our sincere congratulations to Senator Barack Obama on winning the Presidency of the United States and writing a new chapter in history in doing so. The bonds that unite the United States and the UK are vital to our prosperity and security, and I know from talking to Senator Obama that he will be a true friend of Britain. And the Government looks forward to working with the new administration as we both help people fairly through the downturn. I would also like to pay tribute to Senator McCain, who has shown the characteristic dignity that has marked a lifetime of service to his country. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I add my condolences to the the family of the uh, dead soldier? Um, Over the next few weeks, the residents of Greater Manchester will have the opportunity to to vote in the referendum to introduce congestion charging in return for £1.5 billion uh, government uh, investment in public transport. Many people support road pricing but don't support this scheme. Will the Prime Minister... Well, let the Honourable Gentleman speak. The Honourable Gentleman. Will the Prime Minister... Too long in the past, so don't, don't put that accusation to him. The Honourable Gentleman. Will the Prime Minister ensure that in the event of a no vote, the people of Greater Manchester will have the opportunity to come back with an improved scheme without the concern that the Government might take the money away? Mr Speaker, I, I, know, I know there is a... A voting paper for a yes vote and a no vote. I'm afraid there is not one for a don't no vote. In the end, in the end of a, in, in the event of a no vote, it would be up to Greater Manchester authorities to decide whether they wanted to do further work on the proposals. The government is, in principle, prepared to contribute, as he has said, up to one and a half billion towards the Greater Manchester package. But this is dependent on the broad scope and nature of the package remaining the same. If Greater Manchester were to come back with a revised proposition, we need to assess it on its merits. Kate Hoy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that this weekend, uh, South Africa hosts the SADAC conference to talk about Zimbabwe and the atrocities in the Congo. Will he do all he can and continue to do all he can to ensure that the African leaders and indeed the rest of the world realise that Zimbabwe, under the leadership of Morgan Changarai, has resisted violence, stuck to peaceful and democratic means, and that they will not now be sidelined because of what's happening in the Congo. I welcome the long-term interest my honourable friend has taken in issues in Zimbabwe, and I gather that the Speaker of the Zimbabwean Parliament is with us in this uh, building uh, today. I am determined that the international community acts in a strong and united and decisive way on this, We have offered uh, humanitarian uh, aid, and that is food aid that is going into Zimbabwe, but we regret the fact that despite all the discussions that have been led by former President Mbeki, there has been no agreement yet reached uh, on the future of Zimbabwe and on the personnel in the government. 
but I can assure her that while we are determined to avoid a catastrophe, and we will take action, as the Foreign Secretary has said, to avoid a catastrophe in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and we are giving humanitarian aid, and we are protecting civilians, the Secretary-General Ban will visit uh, the Democratic Republic in the next few days, and a regional summit will be held to look at this matter, uh, where we believe a UN envoy will be appointed very soon. Uh, well, we will not take our eyes off the importance of the humanitarian aid that we need to give to Zimbabwe and our pressure for a political settlement that recognises the democratic will of the Zimbabwean people. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the soldier from the Royal Gurkha Rifles who died in Musakala? We should honour his memory. And can I also join the Prime Minister in congratulating Barack Obama on his stunning victory in the American elections? I'd also like to pay tribute to John McCain, not least for the gracious way in which he conceded. This is a really important moment, to have gone from the horror of segregation to the election of a black president in just four decades is an incredible transformation, and it shows that the United States is a beacon of hope and opportunity and change. I, I read this morning... I read this morning that the Prime Minister has sent a message to the President-elect. Presumably it wasn't, this is no time for a novice. <laughs> what, what, what I said was that serious times needed serious people. Once, once again, he's proved he's not serious. The Labour Party, you've made your strategic choice. It's called more of the same and it's sitting in front of you. You killed change when you bottled that election and you buried change when you appointed Peter Mantle. Well, Honourable gentlemen, those are traditions of the House. I'm not responsible for these matters. Please be quiet. Let the right honourable gentleman speak. Mr Speaker, back to the business in hand. This week, the European Commission said that Britain is facing a deeper recession next year than the United States, than Japan or any major EU economy. The Prime Minister kept telling us that Britain was better prepared to face the recession. In fact, we are the worst prepared. Why was he wrong? Mr. Speaker, this, this is the only time he's quoted the European Commission. In <laughs> I, I, ha, I have to say to them that the reason why the reason why we are better prepared than other countries is that for years we have had low interest rates. We are now getting inflation down, and it will come down in the next year. We have high levels of employment, higher than almost every other major industrial country, and we can come through this. At the same time, corporate balance sheets are strong outside the financial sector and not in the position they were when he was the advisor to the Chancellor in 1992. And I I have to say to him, we are taking the long-term decisions about this country on nuclear power, on energy, on infrastructure, on planning, but we are not supported by the party opposite. 
The Prime Minister cannot hide from this. If we're better prepared, why is our recession forecast to be deeper? For years he stood there reading out lists of countries he told us we were beating. Yet according to the Commission, our recession will be... Our recession next year will be worse than in Germany, France, Italy, Sweden, Spain, Greece or the United States. In fact, there are just two countries that we're going to do better than. Estonia and Latvia. They escaped the grip of Stalin. We're still in it. Now, just this weekend, he told the people, once again, he said Britain is better prepared. Why did he get it wrong? I said that Britain is better prepared because of the reasons I've just given him. That we, that he doesn't understand that when we rejected his policies and made the Bank of England independent and took the right course, we have had 10 years of economic growth. We have had 10 years of stability, 10 years where 3 million jobs have been created. And if he wants to compare the recent figures on the European Union, Germany was in negative growth in the second quarter. France was in negative growth in the second quarter. Italy was in negative growth in the second quarter. Ireland is in negative growth. We were not in negative growth in the second quarter. He he, he talks about his great decisions about the Bank of England. The terrible decision was to take the Bank of England out of regulating the level of debt in the economy. Isn't one of the reasons why our recession is predicted to be deeper is that we have got such high levels of personal debt? Will he confirm that, in fact, we have the highest level of household debt of any major economy? Doesn't he understand you can't build New Jerusalem on a mountain of debt? Mr Speaker, if I can take debt overall in our economy, then let let me read... I think he usually likes to quote the IMF rather than the European Union. Debt levels in the UK in 2008, 37.6% public debt. Canada, France, 55.5%. Germany, 56.1%. Italy, 101.3%. Japan, 94.3%. You've got to look at personal and public debt together, and that's what we will do. The IMF repeatedly warned this government about the high levels of personal debt and government debt. I don't know why he didn't just agree with my question, because this is what... Yeah. I don't know. Because this, this is what he said to the Labour conference in 1995. It's another quote. Perhaps, perhaps they'd like to listen to this. I say to those who... This is what he said. The great words of the leader. Why don't you listen for a change? Uh, I want to hear what was said at the Labour Party conference. <laughs> because I'm not, a, I'm not allowed to be there. So be quiet. Be quiet. I don't know why the Honourable Member for Normanton was shouting, it's almost certainly balls. <laughs> this is what he said. I say, I say to those who propose we simply tax, spend and borrow that it's because I care about our responsibility to future generations that I tell you we will not build the new Jerusalem on a mountain of debt. That is what he said. The fact is we've got the highest personal debt of any country in the world. We've got one of the highest budget deficits in the world and our regulation system has failed. In fact, it failed so badly that the Prime Minister's new Treasury Minister, Lord Miners, told the House of Lords this week that he wanted to see a public inquiry into the regulatory failure. Can the Prime Minister tell us when we're going to have that public inquiry? Mr Speaker, the the Financial Secretary said no such thing. And I believe that he is proving every time... 
I believe he's proving every time in this House that he is a novice in parliamentary procedure. Mr Speaker, when I referred to debt, I referred to low national public debt, and that is exactly what we did after 1997, to reduce debt from 44% of national income to the 38% it was this year. Now, the Conservative Party left us with higher levels of debt, and if he wants to go back in history, he should remember his role as economic adviser to the Conservative Government when three million people were unemployed and at the same time we had interest rates at 18%. And as for borrowing, last week the Shadow Chancellor said that borrowing was the wrong approach. The Leader of the Opposition, however, said that borrowing is inevitable and you have to allow that to happen. The only change that they represent is that they change their minds every week. The Prime Minister... The Prime Minister says in some way I have misrepresented what Lord Miners said. Let me explain exactly what Lord Miners said. He was asked in the other place, Lord Lee asked, if we're going to hold inquiries, do we not need a wider public inquiry? Lord Miners says, my lords, I agree with my noble friend. So, that is what he said. That is the whole thing. That is, so he said he'd have a public inquiry, we should have one. Isn't the truth this? In Britain, people are losing their homes, small businesses are closing, unemployment is rising, manufacturing output again today is falling, and by refusing to hold a public inquiry, the Prime Minister is yet again demonstrating that he cannot provide the change people want. On the day the American people voted for change, aren't people in this country entitled to ask, how much longer have we got to put up with more of the same from a government that's failed? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the reason reason that the American people voted for change is that what... Prime Minister. The reason the American people have voted is they want progressive policies. They voted voted for a fiscal stimulus opposed by the Conservatives. They voted for a rising minimum wage opposed by the Conservatives. They voted for regulation of pensions and mortgages opposed by the Conservatives. They voted for tax credits opposed by the Conservatives. The truth, the, the, truth is, the truth is that the Conservative Party policies are rejected in America and in Britain by people who do not want to pursue them. But if you, but if you will forgive me, on this day of all days, I believe we should end this exchange by recognising the truly historic significance for America of the decision that's been made by the American people. They've demonstrated again and again their enduring strengths of their democracy and their values. And we will work closely with the new administration because their progressive policies are similar to ours. And you're lucky to get Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like the banks, the energy companies need considerable regulation. What uh, can my right honourable friend do to control gas and electricity prices for my poor families and my pensioners? Mr Speaker, we've already raised the winter allowance for pensioners and it will be paid in the next few weeks. And that is £250 for the over 60s, £400 for the over 80s. We are already coming down hard on the gas and electricity companies so that social tariffs, that is the same rate as last year, are available to many low-income families in this country. And we are continuing to talk to the electricity and gas companies about how the £900 million levy that we charged upon them can be used to give greater uh, help to people who are poor, low-income and families on modest incomes as well. We will continue to do what we can to help people through these difficult times. Nick Clegg. Speaker, I'd like to...
like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of the soldier from the Royal Gurkhas Rifles who tragically lost his life in Afghanistan this week. And of course, on behalf of all Liberal Democrats, to join in congratulating Barack Obama on his extraordinary victory as the new President of the United States and to wish him luck because the, the hopes and expectations that people have of him to change America, change the world are immense. Now, the Prime Minister just said that he shares lots of policies with the new President-elect, so he will be aware that uh, the central policy which Barack Obama fought on in his election was to cut taxes for people on low and middle incomes paid for by the very wealthy. Why won't he do the same here? Mr Speaker, what Barack Obama did not fight on was a policy for £20 billion of public spending cuts, and that is the effect of the policy of the Liberal Party. Speaker, the fact is that he, this Prime Minister, has fixed things so that a millionaire, a millionaire pays less in tax on their capital gains than their cleaner does on their wages. He's not learning from Barack Obama. He's copying the Conservatives who want to cut more taxes to millionaires and not give an extra penny to anyone else. So will he cancel his special tax breaks for the very wealthy to put more money into the pockets of hard-pressed families right now? Mr Speaker, I think he is a bit behind the times. We raised capital gains tax from 10%. At the same time, we took action on, uh, on domiciles, non-domiciles in the United Kingdom. But I have to remind him that a tax and spending policy ma- must add up. And if he's going to propose 20 billion of public spending cuts, if he's going to propose 20 billion of public spending cuts, then he's out of touch with the British people. Stuart Bell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Is it not 40 years ago that Martin Luther King said, "I have a dream"? And was that dream not fulfilled in this election yesterday? And since the Prime Minister will be in the United States on the 15th of November for a financial conference with President Bush, will he also take time to see the President-elect to discuss the many issues of foreign policy that we have together? I'm grateful, Mr. Honourable Friend. And he, he, he undoubtedly underlines the significance of what has happened in the United States. More people voting than ever before the first uh, black president elected by the American uh, people, more young people engaged in political debate than ever before. Uh, And I will continue uh, my discussions uh, with uh, Senator Obama, the uh, president-elect, and I hope to talk to him very soon. John Hayes. Thank thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister knows that since 1997, opportunities to learn and skill in the workplace, in communities, and in FE colleges have been restricted. Uh, well, well the, Prime, the, Prime Minister, the Prime Minister looked surprised, but government figures show that numbers in FE colleges alone fell by 20% last year, and the National Institute for Adult and Continuing Ed- Education say that one and a half million places have been lost in adult education since 2005. Why has he so savagely cut adult education when given Brown's bust means that more people will need to reskill and retrain. It is vitally important we provide those opportunities. Mr. Mr. Speaker, there are more people in education than ever before. And I hope that he will go back and look at the statistics that show the number of young people and the number of adults who have been benefiting from our courses since 1997 is far greater than ever happened in the years before. And we wish to continue to do so. And one example of this is the apprenticeship which is available to adults as well as to young people. And we've trebled the number of apprenticeships in recent years. 
Speaker. Mr Speaker, President-elect <coughs> Obama has consistently opposed the war in Iraq since 2002. He also has made it his stated policy to withdraw all US combat troops by April of 2010. This is a very significant policy change. And does my right honourable friend consider that this is a change that we should all believe in? Mr Speaker, I announced in July that as we completed our mission in Iraq, there will be a fundamental change in what our troops do in the first half of next year. We have, of course, completed a lot of work in training the Iraqi forces, and we will continue to do that until completion. We wish to pass the airport across to Iraqi authorities. We wish to help speed up economic development in Basra, and we wish to see the local elections taking place. We have moved from a role in combat to one of overwatch, and we will have a further fundamental change of mission next year. Bernard Jenkins. The Prime Minister keeps seeking to reassure homeowners and small businesses uh, by urging the banks to pass on rate cuts to their borrowers. But today, the Abbey National is putting up their lending margins. Why does the Prime Minister keep making such meaningless, reassuring noises, even when he can't even persuade his own banks, the ones he owns, to pass on their rate cuts? First of all, we do not own uh, Abbey National Bank. It is owned by Santander. The second, the second thing I have to point out to him is that interest rates have been cut from five and three quarter percent to four and a half percent, and the bank has said there is more scope uh, for interest rate cuts. Uh, but what we have been trying to do, if I, if I may explain uh, to the Conservatives, what have we been trying to do in the last uh, few weeks is, is, is get the liquidity into the system, recapitalise our banks, and then get them to resume, resume the lending that is necessary. Uh, the London rate, the LIBOR rate, has gone down from 6.25% to 5.25%. We are starting to make progress, but I agree with what he says, that we want the banks and building societies to pass on the interest rate cuts to their mortgage holders. Philip Motley. Would my uh, friend agree? Uh, in the inspirational address from the President-elect, he identified a number of key objectives. One of those was a planet in peril. In this time of economic downturn, does not agree that this is the time to invest in infrastructure for a low-carbon future, both in the public and private sector, and to work with the United States' new administration in terms of a new Green Deal that would benefit us all? That is exactly what we want to do. We are committed to an 80% cut in carbon emissions by 2050. I believe that that is a similar policy to that of the incoming U.S. administration. We want to work together towards an agreed solution in Copenhagen next year. We recognize that there are benefits in jobs as well as in low-carbon emissions being reduced, and that is why a new deal for the environment in America and Britain can create thousands of jobs for people in both continents. The Prime Minister has guaranteed British savings in the Icelandic bank ISAVE. When will he do the same for the million blameless people who have seen their pension savings decimated in equitable life? Mr Speaker, we had a report done by the Ombudsman. There will be a statement on that soon. Angela C. Smith. Angela C. Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over Over 70 members of this House have signed Early Day Motion 2189 calling for the inclusion of the Marine Bill in this year's Queen's Speech. Can the Prime Minister give us assurances that the Bill will be included and that it will give adequate protection to our marine wildlife? 
my member, and I know she's taken a great interest in these matters. We are discussing uh, this with the devolved administrations to deliver a coherent approach across the whole of the United Kingdom, and the Government continues to prepare the Bill for introduction early in the fourth session and does not intend to reduce its scope or coverage. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister accept that when Major Morley was forced to deploy his troops in snatched land rovers, he had no choice whatsoever, contrary to all the ministerial assurances that had been given to commanders in the field, that they would have whatever equipment they required? Mr Speaker, um, this uh, has been a a sad incident when uh, people died, young people who were serving our country died. But I have to say to him, we have done our best in recent years to provide the equipment that is necessary. We have spent over £1 billion on new vehicles for operations. In 2006, we ordered 108 Mastiff. We also, in 2007, took steps to increase them. We ordered 150 Ridgebacks, the first Jackals, as part of constant review of capability. Operational commanders were asked by the Defence Minister again in June to look again at our vehicle options. More armoured vehicles were decided upon. We were able to announce last week the purchase of nearly 700 vehicles and an upgrade of more than 200 vehicles. This is a total of 1,200 new vehicles. And that's why, that's why the Conservative Chairman of the Defence Select Committee has said the personal equipment that our armed forces now have is, be- have is better than it has ever been. My right honourable friend aware that those of us who are pro-American hope that the very welcome presidential result will mean the United States getting back again the respect of the international community. And one of the the first immediate steps I hope the new president will take when he takes office next year is the ending of torture of political prisoners. That certainly would be a very welcome step. Mr Speaker, the uh, President-elect has promised to close down Guantanamo Bay and that would be a major step forward. Nick Hub. Up to £200 million of money given by the public to charities uh, has been frozen as a result of the banking crisis. Will the Government be bringing forward measures to support this vital sector before they have to start cutting services to the people most vulnerable to a deep recession for which he has prepared us so badly? Mr Speaker, I I too want to do my best to help uh, charities Uh, and we created uh, gift aid that allowed them to get very considerable relief and we have given substantial money to work in partnership with charities over recent years and of course we will look at anything that helps uh, protect the charitable sector and we are already looking at a number of measures by which we can do so. Dennis Skinner, this is the one. Does the Prime Minister agree that it's quite remarkable that after the economic tsunami lapped the shores of every continent, that countries of left, right and centre... Order. 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 of a gentleman. Is it quite remarkable that governments of left, right and centre have adopted our policy of taking over banks and recapitalising them? Isn't this a question really of not only here in Britain we're fixing our roof, but we're fixing the roofs around the world as well? Mr Speaker, we are doing our best to work with other countries. 
and that is one of the reasons I went to the Gulf to talk to other countries about how we can prepare better for the future. But perhaps the House needs to know that all the measures, Northern Rock, they opposed. What we did on the banking crisis with Ichbos, they opposed. What we did on share speculation, the Shadow Chancellor opposed. On regulation, they opposed what we've done on regulation and wanted deregulation. They have no answers to the problems the country faces. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it would be an absurd dumbing down of the principle of democracy if he felt himself able, quite rightly, last week to express his views about the antics of Russell Brand and Jonathan Ross as employees of the independent BBC, but felt himself unable this week to express his views about the increasingly obvious fact that the Independent Bank of England has moved too slowly and by too small margin to reduce interest rates. Mr Speaker, can I just quote back to Ms Shadow Chancellor? When the Bank of England was made independent, it was independent to make its decisions, and that is the way it should be. Madam Gardner, the whole House was delighted by my right honourable friend's commitment uh, to end prescription charges for all cancer patients. But there are other long-term patients who want to know whether the Government will extend that to them. Will the Prime Minister adopt a phrase from Senator Obama and say, yes, we can? Mr Speaker, we are committed to greater fairness in the National Health Service and we know the worries of people who have long-term illnesses. We have agreed to abolish their prescription charges for all cancer patients next year and committed to abolishing charges for everyone with a long-term condition as we deliver savings in the drugs budget over the coming years. The Conservatives are clearly not interested in the future of the National Health Service. We created it and we are. In which way does the Prime Minister expect the nature of the special relationship with America to change under President-elect Senator Obama? We have worked very closely with America over the last uh, few months on the economic crisis. President Bush has called the leaders' meeting in Washington. There has been a coordinated cut in interest rates led by the central banks of America, Britain and Europe. I believe over the next few months we will have to work even more closely to deal with the international and national repercussions of what is happening in the economies of the world. And I believe that Senator Obama has already indicated that he wishes more coordinated global action on these matters. And I believe we will be able to work together very closely uh, and lead the world in taking us through these difficult times. Order.